0: everyone and welcome. No one needs to be reminded of the crisis the whole world has been engulfed in since the beginning of the year. What I want to talk about today is what leadership looks like when you feel out of control, which is how most of us are feeling. Doris Kearns Goodwin in her award-winning book, Leadership in Turbulent Times, asked, how does adversity affect the growth of leadership? Do times shape the leader or does the leader shape the times? How can a leader infuse a sense of purpose and meaning into people's lives? What is the difference between power, title, and leadership? We hope our discussion today will help put you on your own path to find your calling as a business leader. First, let's talk about leaders' paths. They are anything but certain. Doris Kearns Goodwin has written about our country's greatest political leaders being racked by confusion, hope, failure, and fear. They all made mistakes along the way through inexperience, arrogance, lack of caution, misjudgments, and selfishness. Great leaders struggle to overcome these mistakes. By studying history, we see there is no single path to the pinnacle of leadership. The qualities we ascribe to leaders are intelligence, energy, empathy, verbal and written gifts, and skills in dealing with people. But leaders also have ambition, the drive to succeed, perseverance, and a strong work ethic. No one is born a leader. We become leaders by enhancing and developing the qualities we were given. As Miss Goodwin puts it, like rocks in a polishing cylinder brought to shine by tumbling contact with a wide variety of people. During times of crisis, such as the one we are currently in, leaders summon their talents to enlarge the opportunities and lives of others, but roles and priorities of leaders also change over time. Many of us are faced with supply chain issues, team shortages, and operational challenges while navigating health and safety concerns, working remotely, and supporting our families through the pandemic. There is not an easy transition from the pre-pandemic activities of fostering innovation and driving revenue and profitability. To help us with this discussion on leadership during times of crisis, I reached out to Tori Boats, founder and CEO of the Diva Collective. Welcome, Tori. Uh,
1: Thank you, Shirley. It's my pleasure to be here.
0: Tori, we only briefly introduced you. Tell the audience a little more about yourself.
1: Sure. I'm a strategy and peak performance expert. I believe that building your empire shouldn't suck the life out of you. So I spent 25 years in US intelligence and high tech as a Fortune 500 executive and business owner. I've created billion dollar growth strategies, steered M&A deals, and built small businesses with sustainable growth. And despite my success, I've recovered more than once from losing everything and devastating outcomes. So the most important lesson I've learned is the only winning strategy starts with mindful intent and remains aligned, which ultimately led me to restructure to a healthier, happier approach to business and life and create the Diva Advantage Framework. So today, I'm a keynote speaker, strategic advisor, and mindset coach. I help elite executives and entrepreneurs go from feeling trapped by their success and merely surviving what's next to become visionary leaders. To see new possibilities, feel secure in their future, and create business strategy with their whole life included so they have an incredible life, not just a profitable business, and all without starting over.
0: Thank you for joining us today, Tori. I look forward to discussing with you how leaders can emerge and achieve greatness during this unique time in history. The most important leadership qualities during crisis are Rapid Decision-Making, Adaptation, Keeping Promises, and Engaging Collaboratively. We'll be discussing each of these qualities. Let's talk about decision-making first, Tori. What does it mean to take a wholeness approach to decision-making in a moment of crisis?
1: So you can look at the concept of wholeness in many aspects of your life. And when you take the lens to your business, it's common to consider the whole of your business the growth, and the viability. But there's a viewpoint that's often forgotten, and it's key when you're suddenly adding crisis leadership to your already full plate. And that all-important view is leading with empathy and avoiding burnout. And the reason it's often overlooked is because when you set your focus on your business, it feels like an external entity that you're working on. The business is a thing outside of yourself. But the most important factor during crisis management is transparency into the -the behind-the-scenes intent, the wishes. We're so used to talking about progress and decisions and implications or outcomes. And remember that this type of transparent and personal communication continues well beyond the initial response stages. There's this rush of storming that happens when an unexpected event occurs. So don't let your communication frenzy at the beginning lead you to falsely believe that you've communicated enough, especially when you are primarily communicating with your immediate crisis management team. There's a whole other level of people that you can't forget to communicate with. Their lives are affected too. And people not on the immediate one, two, or three levels of management are often left in the dark unintentionally.
0: Tori, you make a good point that crises evolve over time. We are in a different mode today than we were in mid-March. So how should companies think about short, mid, and long-term planning?
1: Well, when you plan during business-as-usual state, that long-term vision gets more time. And the question of enough time is there, but that's a different issue. When you plan during crisis response, the long-term vision can get pushed to the wayside An attitude of, I'll take care of it later, can cause you to make short-term choices that leave your people, employees, and customers confused. There's plenty of room for short-term, quick reaction choices, but they should be made in line with your intent toward your values, culture, and overall long-term vision. Your choices shouldn't be out of character unless you're making a course correction, and neither one of those situations is wrong. When you consider a crisis response, leading through change, and then recovery, as with business as normal, your approach there, there are three factors to consider. So you want to consider your long-term approach that starts with intent, three different stages of crisis response, and all changes remaining in line and focus. And first is this aspect of intent. When long-term approach starts with intent, it may seem foreign, but this is where your values come in. Then there are what I call three different stages of crisis response, and that's your immediate response, your short-term pivots, and your long-term vision and goals.
0: So, Tori, our topic is decision-making in times of crisis. Talk about immediate decision-making first.
1: With your immediate response, this is where your values really shine. You get to let your intent and what's important to you come through. Do you say that you care about your employees? then your actions and communication will either demonstrate that or shine a light on something that needs to change fundamentally. So often a leader will face conflicting wants or needs and desires. You may feel that your desire to take care of your employees is at odds with your need to keep your business afloat. That conflicted feeling is mired in fear, and a fear-based reaction in an immediate response phase can set the stage for an onslaught of wrong decisions if not corrected. So what you need to do at that point is start with calming your sympathetic nervous system by getting grounded with a few deep breaths and resetting your thinking to a positive mindset and starting with a different question. So instead of figuring out which of the choices to choose or pick from, you ask yourself this, how can I have both?
0: That makes a lot of sense, Tori. Can you give us a recent example of a leader who has embraced this approach in his or her early-stage decision-making and produced positive outcomes?
1: Sure. So during the COVID-19 pandemic, I've worked with entrepreneurs in mid- and small-sized businesses who handled early communication in different ways. And we're talking about businesses on an annual revenue scale from 500000 to $50 million and above. Um, The important lesson to pay attention to is that no matter if the company response leaning toward company protection or or employee protection or if it's an ultra-conservative versus a looser approach, both of these approaches carry risk just differently. They are two sides of the same coin. So because in each of these scenarios, the types of information contained in their communication was minimal in general, Here's what turned these situations around from employees feeling at risk with no one caring what happens to them to feeling like they mattered. In working with different leaders, each had various things they were working on, such as concerns of managing expectations and information to employees, the board of directors, and customers. They were researching HR matters with fairness, applying benefits, and the wage law government contract law, even the legality and tax law surrounding employee welfare like leave, bonuses, and salary donation programs. There was a ton of research being done, a diversity of disciplines represented in impromptu crisis response teams. There were even company-to-company leadership teams at regional and customer alignment levels that were collaborating to share ideas, compare notes, and discussing various means and ideas to inform and educate Customers and lawmakers. Now, these are collaborations among companies that we traditionally think of as direct competitors. So, a few of the folks I worked with listened to an employee perspective with open minds, and they implemented a more transparent communication style. And right away, they saw an uptick in interaction. You could physically feel the vibe or the air change. Like when you enter a room and it feels like you can cut the air with a knife, it suddenly felt lighter. And the conversation among the employees and the lower-level leaders changed. That filled people with hope and trust. They don't expect the business to be sacrificed for their welfare because they know that the business has to continue on for them to have a job the next day. So they now have something tangible to think about. I saw creative ideas going from nearly shared to talked about more openly and inclusively. Different types of conversations were being held. Something besides the fear and panic stems from the news and worst-case scenarios.
0: And there's certainly plenty of that to go around. Okay, we covered immediate decision-making. Many leaders now find themselves needing to pivot to a new normal. What are your observations, Tori?
1: Well, moving into the second stage of crisis response is your short-term pivot. You'll want to be careful of FOMO here. That's the fear of missing out. A knee-jerk reaction for a short-term pivot may not serve you. Having a vision firmly planted with an intent that's aligned with creating that ideal change will give you a place to pivot from. So when you're considering short-term pivots or changes, you should still look at the long-term effect and keep focused on your long-term vision. You can change your long-term vision here. The point is that you're taking longevity and viability for the future into account in your decisions, But this will keep you from making a change for purely quick fix monetary gain. Yes, business exists to make money. Yet when only money guides your choices, the pros and cons can get muddled, leaving you with uncertainty and decisiveness. Then you resort to making an uninformed, hasty decision, or you come to a stalemate, and neither of those lends itself to having a long-term vision.
0: And that is so important. The situation is changing by the day, even by the hour. The best leaders quickly process available information, rapidly determine what matters most, and make decisions with conviction. During a crisis, cognitive overload looms. Information is incomplete, interest and priorities may clash, as Tori has indicated, and emotions and anxiety run high. Analysis paralysis can easily result, exacerbated by the natural tendency of matrixed organization to build consensus. Leaders must break through the inertia to keep the organization trained on business continuity today while increasing the odds of mid- to long-term success by focusing on the few things that matter most. A simple, scalable framework for rapid decision-making is critical and this is what I recommend. Number one, define priorities. Identify and communicate the three to five most important ones. Early in the crisis, those might include employee safety and care, financial liquidity, customer care, and operational continuity. Document the issues identified, ensure that leadership is fully aligned with them, and make course corrections as events unfold. Number two, make smart trade-offs. What conflicts may arise among the priorities you have outlined? Between the urgent and the important? Between the survival today and success tomorrow? Instead of thinking about all possibilities, the best leaders use their priorities as a scoring mechanism to force trade-offs. Number three, name the decision-makers. In your central command war room, Establish who owns what. Empower the frontline to make decisions where possible and clearly state what needs to be escalated, by when, and to whom. Your default should be to push decisions downward, not up. And number four, embrace action and don't punish mistakes. Missteps will happen, but our research indicates that failing to act is much worse. We need to take a break. We're talking to Tori Boats, founder and CEO of the Diva Collective about leadership in times of crisis. When we return, we'll discuss how leaders are adapting quickly and with purpose. Stay with us, we'll be right back.
2: This Growthmasters Federal presentation is hosted by Shirley Collier, president and founder of Scale to Market. Scale to Market helps businesses think, plan, collaborate, and build market value by developing and executing customized, data-driven business development playbooks, building efficient information systems, and creating high-performing BD teams. Utilizing the proprietary Davy Business Development Growth Framework, scale-to-market partners with business owners and executives to increase their company's value by achieving profitable and sustainable growth in the federal marketplace. Email shirley at scollier at scale-to-market.com to obtain your copy of the Davy Growth Framework. And now, back to Shirley's discussion with Tori Boats, Executive Advisor and Mindset Coach on Leadership and Wellness.
0: Welcome back. The second leadership quality I want to discuss is adapting rapidly and boldly. Strong leaders get ahead of changing circumstances. They seek input and information from diverse sources and are not afraid to admit what they don't know and bring in outside resources when necessary. What I have seen effective leaders do is decide what not to do. Put a hold on large initiatives and expenses and ruthlessly prioritize. Share with your team your what not to do choices. Throw out yesterday's playbook. The actions that previously drove results may no longer be relevant. The best leaders adjust quickly and develop new plans of attack. Strengthen or build direct connections to the front line. In triage situations, it's crucial to have an accurate current picture of what's happening on the ground. Whether you are running a supply chain, leading an IT company, or overseeing a pharmaceutical company, leaders must get situational assessments early and often. One way is to create a network of local leaders and influencers who can speak with deep knowledge about the impact of the crisis and the sentiments of customers, suppliers, employees, and other stakeholders. Technology can bring the parties together. Think about internal wikis that capture issues, solutions, innovations, and best practices. Effective leaders extend their antennae across all of the ecosystems in which they operate. Tori, this is easier said than done. Some business leaders are being thrust into a new crisis management role and are ill-prepared. You have an interesting take on recovering from burnout and taking your business to the next level. Can you share with us what happened to lead you to this?
1: Sure. First, we start with what is burnout and why is it so detrimental? So, when people think of burnout, they think of working long hours over a long period of time. They think of being tired, or it could be the worst case scenario that they read about on the internet where someone lands in the hospital. So, it's either something that's temporary and manageable or is something that you never believe is going to happen to you. And it's tempting to believe that you'll never let it go so bad that you land in the hospital. And that is a slippery slope that many people don't want to face. But it's really more than that. Burnout isn't caused because you work long hours. I've been working long hours on a special project of the last several weeks, and I don't feel burnout or even close to it. In fact, work is bringing me renewed energy. Burnout is if you're constantly pushing yourself to the brink and you have no way of restoring the energy, then you're eventually going to cause your health to decline. It's not how many hours you work, it's all the chemicals and the hormones and the way that you are experiencing your life from moment to moment that releases in your body and the addiction to producing events that may feel known as a false sense of safety That that's what you get when your life is predictable. People often associate being energized by the effort they're putting in and that they're putting out as associated with a hobby or something fun. It's certainly not something you associate with your typical work, especially when you hold the belief that work is work and fun is fun. And if work were meant to be fun, then it would be called fun and not work. But that only holds true until you find yourself miserable at work or dread getting up in the morning and facing the day or if you feel the drudgery of having to go to work.
0: Tori, let's talk about how to transition from burnout to being a visionary leader. What has been your personal path?
1: So I started off the leadership path of my career very early on. At first, it was just for getting to the next level. Then I progressed up the ladder, so to speak, to make more money, gain recognition, and follow the next logical path. And this cycle continued to repeat as I transitioned throughout my career, building my companies, building other people's companies, et cetera. I was being driven by my addiction to achievement. I was constrained by choices that were only on the approved list. While I could satisfy my thirst for freedom of choice, I was being led falsely by this narrow set of options that were defined by social conditioning, family expectations, and a negative support network. At no point did I feel like visionary leader was in the cards for me. I actually thought that I wasn't capable of being a visionary because I couldn't come up with an inspirational corporate vision. I was plenty creative in my personal life with ballet, hip-hop, breakdancing, songwriting, playing instruments, and yet also not creative at work. Or so I felt. I was stuck. Stuck at this point where burnout had taken a hold, I was out of inspiration. I was craving renewal and my physical health was failing. And I was really good at ignoring how I felt and working so hard, yet feeling like I was accomplishing very little. I, like so many of my clients I work with, had to find myself again. And, but it's something more important. I had to change the way I approached my life and my business. I had to learn compassion and empathy for myself, that that mattered. Even though it felt self indulgent and foreign, completely foreign, they didn't teach that in my MBA, and they certainly didn't teach it in my engineering, and not even from past leaders in the network I built. And as I continue to work in this way, my methods improve and my clients benefit. It's a constant evolution.
0: It seems you have figured out a very effective blend of your personal world and your business world, Tori. Most of our listeners are not necessarily first responders, but they do provide vital government services. The third leadership trait I want to discuss is to reliably deliver on promises despite the extraordinary stresses we are all experiencing. The best leaders take personal ownership in a crisis, even though many challenges and factors lie outside of their control. They align team focus, establish new metrics to monitor performance, and create a culture of accountability. After observing many leaders during crisis, those who were able to continue to deliver on their promises to their clients, employees, and other stakeholders had three overall actions in common. The first is, they stayed alert to and aligned their thinking and actions to a daily dashboard of priorities. They succinctly documented their top five priorities on half a page or less and ensured that those above them are in accord. They reviewed performance against those items frequently, if not daily, perhaps weekly, and made sure that other leaders shared this information with their direct reports. Their hit list was reviewed and updated at the end of each day or each week. Number two, they set key performance indicators and other metrics to measure performance. They chose three to five metrics that mattered most for the week and encouraged their leaders to regularly report back on each. And third, as Tori has mentioned, they kept their minds and bodies in fighting shape. To reliably deliver, leaders must maintain their equanimity even when others are losing their heads. What I observed is that successful leaders established a routine of self-care, a healthy diet, exercise, meditation, or whatever works for them. They purposefully stocked up on energy, emotional reserves, and coping mechanisms. The fourth crisis leadership behavior is to engage collaboratively and impactfully. In times of crisis, no job is more important than taking care of your team. Effective leaders are understanding of their team's circumstances and distractions, but they find ways to engage and motivate clearly and thoroughly, communicating important new goals and information. This point deserves extra attention because although the COVID-19 pandemic is, of course, a health crisis, it has sparked a financial crisis, as we are all aware. Your leaders need to reiterate new priorities frequently to ensure continued alignment in this time of constant and stressful change. I want to share with you what the CEO of one of my clients, a cybersecurity firm located in Maryland, is doing. She connects with individual team members daily for a pulse check, relating on a personal level first, and then focuses on work. Then she conducts 30-minute wind-down sessions, with direct reports each Friday afternoon via Zoom, before the Zoom happy hour, of course. People share their states of mind, along with the week's highlights and low points. She asks for help as needed. The best leaders know they can't do everything themselves. She has assigned individuals to support key efforts. I have found that many people want to help, and they are grateful to be employed. This CEO also collects and amplifies positive messages, successes, acts of kindness, obstacles that have been overcome. Many companies are tied to a noble purpose, such as saving lives, manufacturing medical equipment, or helping supply chains function more efficiently. This CEO celebrates the unsung heroes in her company and emphasizes how important their cybersecurity work is to families, businesses, and to society. And lastly, and just as important, she is very focused on growing her business, not just surviving. She does this by encouraging and coaching the business development team, giving them new goals, asking for their ideas on how to serve the market creatively and courageously, and she has instituted new financial incentives. I am very impressed with her compassion, her communication skills, and her business skills. As leaders, we many times deceive ourselves into thinking we're doing the right thing for the right reason, but people won't follow a leader whose motives are selfish. However, we don't always know that our motivation is flawed. Mark Miller, in his book Heart of Leadership, says the simple and painful truth is that if your heart is not right, no one cares about your leadership skills. There is more to leadership than most people realize. Wisdom, responsibility, and courage are not generic, simplistic concepts that any leader can embrace. These traits are achieved through a radical detachment from self and painful honesty about our past mistakes and limitations. Rewards are not tangible or guaranteed. Leadership's most important work is performed on the inside. Success comes from leadership character. Tori, thank you so much for joining us today for this important discussion.
1: Thank you, Shirley. It's been my pleasure to speak with your audience today.
0: Folks, if you'd like to learn more about Tori, go to toryboats.com for videos, to take her quiz, for positive support, social links, and upcoming events. Or you can reach out to us here at Skelto Market and we'll make sure you're connected. This is Shirley Collier, President of Scale to Market and host of the Growth Masters Federal Podcast, signing off for now. As we close, I want to thank you for joining us today and encourage you to connect with me on LinkedIn and visit our website, that's scaletomarket.com, with the number two in the middle, where you will find our library of podcasts, webcasts, white papers, my blog, and other links and resources. While there, please leave us a comment or suggestion so we can stay focused on what's important to you. We'll see you next time.